appreciate that. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 12. Let's hustle to the word today. Acts chapter number 12. We're in this series, a church on mission. We're going to read the entire chapter together to start. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want you to know what's going on. And it's going to help us move quicker through the sermon today. So get to Acts chapter 12. Open your Bible, your device. And let's read together. I'll read aloud and you follow along quietly. Verse number one. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came into the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street. And forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. Why did her mom name her Rhoda? That's rough. Verse 14, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, thou art mad. Or in other words, you're crazy. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then then said they, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they'd opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord hath brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become of Peter? And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him. And having made Blastus, there's another dandy of a name, The king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. The title of the message today is this, God's power 
to care for his people. I want you to notice the very first phrase of chapter 12. Look at it. Now about that time. Luke is the author. And this is a transitional phrase that connects what we're about to study with what just happened in the life of this church. So, so to understand the context, we got to ask, what's happening about this time in the life of the early church? Well, chapter 11, verse 21 gives us an idea. Look at it in your Bible. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Chapter 11, verse 21. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So we see here at this time in the church's life, they're experiencing the obvious presence and power of God. Luke puts it this way. The hand of the Lord was with them. Have you ever had one of those seasons of life where you could just sense God's hand, his presence, his guidance, his favor, his care? It was just so obvious in your life. You could see it. You could identify it. You could feel it. I know that I've sensed those seasons in my life. I've sensed those seasons in my family. I've sensed the seasons where God's hand was clearly so obvious in our church. That's what the early church was experiencing. But then we get to chapter 12 and it says now about that time. So about the time that God's people were experiencing forward momentum, about the time that God's people were seeing his hands so obviously providing for them and caring for them and blessing them, about that time, you read that phrase and it makes you wonder what's about to happen. Because verse 1 continues and it says, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Right about the time that everything was going good, life changes. Right about the time when everyone was getting saved and baptized and added to the church, circumstances change for the worse. This king named Herod launches an assault on the church. Who's King Herod? Well, there are a lot of Herods in the New Testament. Herod's a family name. It's not a first name. This particular Herod is known as Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one who tried to kill baby Jesus. Herod Agrippa here, they say, is about 50 years old at the time. Our text portrays him, though not so much as a king, but more so as a politician. At this point in history, King Herod has a problem. The people of his province weren't big fans of the family name Herod. They'd had some bad experiences. So Herod wanted to do something that would increase his popularity in the city. And he does what he's good at. He plays politics. Herod noticed that there's this new group of people called the Christians who were very unpopular with the religious leaders of Judaism. And the religious leaders of Judaism were very powerful. So Herod thinks, what better way to get the Pharisees and Sadducees on my side than to come out in opposition to their enemies, the Christians? And he does. It gets violent quickly. Herod goes straight to the top. He he murders one of the church's prominent leaders and apostles named James. He likely beheads him with the sword. We're talking about the James that was part of Jesus' inner circle along with Peter and John. There's later going to be another James that comes along that's going to be instrumental in the leadership of the church. This is a different James, the original apostle James. This is someone the believers in the church loved dearly. They looked up to for spiritual guidance and wisdom. 
In fact, if you've been in this journey through Acts with us, then you know the church is probably just now getting over the grief of, of, their, of their friend Stephen who, who died violently. Now they lose again one of their most revered apostles. What makes this so hard is that they were just experiencing God's hand, God's care, God's obvious blessing. And then without warning, things change and now they're having another funeral. But it gets worse. When Herod noticed how much the execution of James pleased the people, remember he's playing politics, he wanted to do the same thing to Peter, another leader of the church, another apostle. Not because Peter and James were some political revolutionaries, but because Herod is playing this political game. So so he puts Peter on death row. He arrests him and he sentences him to death. Now I want you to understand where God's people find themselves here. They had been celebrating the salvation and baptism of so many new converts on one day. And the next day, they're grieving the execution of one apostle and the arrest of another. The rug is literally being pulled out from underneath them with the snap of Herod's finger. I want to ask you, has that ever happened in your life? Is that happening in your life right now? Have you ever been in a good season? A season where you just knew God's hand was on you. You could see it. You could feel it. There was no mistaking that God cared for you. But then everything changed. One phone call from the doctor's office. And now you find yourself discussing what he saw on a scan that concerns him. One phone call from a family member telling you that your loved one's been in an accident and it's not looking good. One meeting with your boss and you walk out without a job. One bill that comes in the mail and your day goes from great to terrible because you have no idea where the money's going to come from. One appointment with your child's teacher and now you're finding out something about your child's behavior at school that totally shocks you. One day out of nowhere, your marriage goes from good to really bad. One negative pregnancy test and once again you're reminded of your infertility And what feels like an impossibility of ever having your own biological children. I'm talking about seasons of life where one minute God's care couldn't be questioned. But the next minute you find yourself in such a threatening circumstance that you're questioning God's power to care for you today like he has yesterday. You're laying awake at night wondering, where did God go? His hand was just on me and now it's just disappeared. He was so present and now he's so silent. Does he even care? Here's the question of the text today. How do we respond when we find ourselves in a situation where God's power to care for us is called into question by threatening circumstances? The people of God in this church responded in two positive ways. Look at verse 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Here's what we should do first. Pray for God's intervention. When King Herod attacks with the sword, the people of God counter with prayer. I believe this should always be the believer's response during times of trial. And let me call a timeout just for a second. If you're wanting to know, man, I was hoping for a more profound answer than that. Just pray. That's Christianese. Can you give me more help than that? Then you're not getting the point. 
Prayer is the point. Now, one might wonder about the church's response here. Why not take up arms? Force. Protest. I do think there might be times when, when an outcry is appropriate. But I believe, that, I believe for, for believers, prayer should always be the first and, and it's always the best response. See, prayer is the believer's weapon. Prayer is the church's weapon. And using it isn't weak. Using it isn't passive. Prayer isn't a retreat. It's an act of holy defiance. It's an act of placing dependent confidence in the sovereign God who hears the prayers of his people and rules over all. Prayer is powerful, church. In the words of John Piper, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. I like that. The church is at war, so they call up the commander who shuts lions' mouths, humiliates pharaohs, breaks chains, and opens prison doors, knowing he will act in whatever way he knows is best. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Can I ask you today, how do you regard prayer? Is your initial response to conflict one of planning and protesting? Or like these believers, is it is it petitioning and, and pleading the Lord? See, I think we could learn from the church of Jerusalem that while the kingdom of darkness uses physical weapons, believers should first and foremost use the spiritual weapon of prayer. And this church we're reading of in Acts 12 would need to be serious about prayer because the wicked, power-hungry, political King Herod was very serious about not just killing James. That was already done. He was very serious about killing Peter next. I know that because verse 6 says that Herod assigned Four squads of four soldiers each to guard Peter. Are you with me? Sixteen guards total for one guy. That sounds overboard to me. But it's probably not to Herod because Herod had heard what happened in Acts 5 when Peter already escaped prison once before. That wasn't going to happen on his watch. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice what Peter was doing in prison. He was sleeping. And it said he was sleeping between two soldiers. He's not biting his nails. He's not pacing the floor. He's not trying to negotiate a deal. The dude is sleeping. And get this, he's sleeping so deeply that the angel had to jab him to wake him up. I mean, I I, I guess he had sleep apnea. He needed a CPAP machine. I don't know. Or it could be this. He just had the peace of God. He knew God was in control. He'd been in a prison cell before. He'd been under persecution before. He stood before the Sanhedrin before. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 4. Be careful for nothing. In other words, don't worry. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God and as a result here's what will happen the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep our guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus do you see how prayer and peace are connected the verse tells us that instead of worrying we should pray and when we do we'll be kept or will be guarded by the peace of God think about this Peter's body Hear me, his body was guarded by soldiers, but his heart and his mind were guarded by peace. And you may find yourself in a situation that feels like a a darkened prison cell that's inescapable, but I'm here to tell you that you can still sleep at night. 
You can still know the sweet peace of God that surpasses all understanding when you pray. Listen, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And take assurance that if it's on your heart, it's on God's mind. So pray through your imprisoned moments. You may not be freed right away. I'm going to be honest with you. You may not be freed at all. But you can have peace. Knowing that through it all, God is still in control. So here we are. The church is praying while Peter's sleeping. It was the middle of the night and an angel steps inside. Now we don't know all the details. But the angel wakes Peter up, tells him to get dressed, and walks out through three separate gates and outside the prison walls. Our text tells us that that Peter almost feels like this whole thing's a dream. It feels surreal. Until he's standing in the street outside the prison, a free man. I don't know, maybe he pinches himself, rubs his eyes, feels the wind. I don't know. But eventually he realizes that this thing's for real. More importantly, what he recognizes next in verse 11 is is so important because he confessed this. God delivered me from Herod. He didn't didn't think it was a coincidence. He didn't think it was a fluke. He didn't think he had a lucky day. He said, God delivered me from Herod. Listen, Peter stands in the street as a freed man because of the power of God alone. And little did he know that a group of believers have been assembled and praying through the night that this very thing would happen. Isn't it awesome when you pray specifically for God to do something and then he does it? This is where the story gets kind of humorous because these believers were about to see the answer to their prayer show up at their front door. And yet when the prayer answer to their prayer shows up at the front door, it's almost like they didn't want it to show up. Here's what happens. Peter walks down to Mary's house. This is a common place where the believers would gather and pray and fellowship. That girl by the name of Rhoda heard a knock on the door. She was a servant girl. She answered the, well, she was going to answer the door, but then she heard Peter's voice. And she got so excited that she didn't even let him in. She just immediately interrupted the prayer meeting to tell everyone that God had answered their prayers. Now, think about that. Peter was an escapee. The last place he needed to be was outside in an open courtyard where authorities could locate him. Poor Rhoda was too excited to remember to even let him in the house. It gets worse. When Rhoda tells the church that Peter's at the door, no one will believe her. They say, you're crazy. Now, at first, this doesn't make sense to me. They're praying through the night for God to free Peter, for God to work out a miracle. And then when God does it, they don't believe it. That's shocking to me. But but then I got to thinking, I've done the same thing. You've done the same thing. We've all prayed with an imperfect faith, haven't we? Come on now. So, So let's not be too hard on these believers. We have prayed believing God can, but we haven't always prayed believing God will. There are times when we're praying for the impossible in our life. And if that thing happened while you were praying, you wouldn't believe it either. So here they are telling Rhoda to go back to doing what she's doing because there's no one at the door. And Rhoda persists. No, Peter's there. I know his voice. Peter's there. And we read next where where, where the people in the house started to theorize whether the man outside might have been Peter's angel. In other words, the, 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 the men 
are talking about theology as the answer to their prayer is standing outside. I'm imagining Peter's getting antsy. He just keeps knocking. Perhaps he pauses to whisper with more urgency. Rhoda, let me in the stinking house. The authorities are coming. Thankfully, the the church eventually opens the door. Peter enters. And then it, it gets crazy. The church erupts. Yeah, I mean, you probably would too. Oh, it was Peter. Rhoda was right. Hey, Peter, how's it? And Peter's like, shh. Like literally, he, he signals to them, the text says. Like, I don't think he wanted to say shut up, but this means shut up. He's a wanted man in the middle of a city. Once they calm down, he goes on to tell them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Hey, get this. Here's what we need to learn. Look at me. God has the power to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think at moments in which we can't feel or see or trace his hand in our life when we're doubting whether or not he has the power to care for us and provide for us and bless us we need to be reminded of this story his power is immeasurable four squadrons of soldiers couldn't stand against his power Three sets of prison bars couldn't stand against his power. A political scheme couldn't stand against his power. A a power-hungry, murderous king couldn't stand against his power. And nothing that comes against you can stand against his power either. If God be for you, who can be against you? Here's the bottom line. Pray. When you need his protection, pray. When you need his provision, pray. When you need his care, pray. When you need a miracle, pray pray because when we pray we remind ourselves and we remind the world that God's power is greater than any earthly power God's led me to put this exact text into practice because tonight we aren't going to have a typical preaching service we're going to have a church-wide prayer meeting tonight when I studied Acts 12 I thought you know what it's one thing to preach it it's another thing to live it And so when you come back to church, I didn't say if, I said when you come back to church at six o'clock, because the doors of God's house are open, Christians come. I said, when the doors of God's house are open, Christians come. That's just what happens. Saved people get baptized, saved people go to church. It's just what happens. So come back tonight at six. Charles Spurgeon said something like this. If you want to see the health and strength of a church, don't look at it when it's singing. And don't look at it when it's preaching. Look at it when it's praying. See who shows up to a prayer meeting and you'll see the health of a church. Because there's nothing flashy about a prayer meeting, is there? Nothing super entertaining about a prayer meeting. But as you can see in this passage, this is where the real business is had right here. So we're going to pray tonight. Nobody's going to be called upon to spontaneously pray in front of the church. or No one's going to be embarrassed. You're going to just pray by yourself at your seat. And we're going to have some folks lead prayer up here that are comfortable doing that. We're going to have some specific things we're going to pray for as a church. And we're going to put Acts 12 to practice. If you're a new member, a prospective member, or just a regular attender, I want you to come back tonight. And I want you to experience what a praying church is like. We had one of these prayer meetings a couple weeks ago, and it was just special. It helped our souls. It refreshed us. It revived us. It was good for us. So what do we do? When we feel like the power of God to take care of us is being put to the test, we pray. But I want you to look how the text ends. I read it so long ago, you probably forgot it. So look at verse 20. This is right after Herod finds out. He, he puts to death the guys who didn't guard Peter. And, and then he, he moves on and he goes to 
uh, Caesarea and, and he abides there. And he's an angry man right now. Verse 20. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him. And having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace. Because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. Because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Here's our second response. When God's power to care for you is brought into question, wait for God's vindication. You pray for God's intervention and then you wait for God's vindication. What did we just read? Well, Herod and the people around him are still playing politics. There's been a rift between Herod and the people of the neighboring coastal cities, Tyre and Sidon. It was the people they called the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians depended on importing food from Herod's province of Galilee. So they have to get back on Herod's good side. So they play the political card themselves. Verse 20 tells us that that they schemed to get a friend on the inside. They worked on a man named Blastus. He was very close to Herod. Maybe a butler, a servant, a, a chief of staff. The implication is that the Phoenicians bribed Blastus to, to get him to pull strings for their cause, and it worked. One day the Phoenicians were able to be present to hear King Herod make a public speech. You might have heard of the Jewish historian Josephus. He tells us about this scene. He said Herod appeared in a robe made of silver. It was shining in the sun, and he spoke to these people. He said the Phoenicians, who, who were happy to achieve their political goals through flattery, cheered that the shining Herod spoke as a God and not a man. Of course, Herod in his pride didn't reject their praise, did he? He loved it. He welcomed it. He tried to steal God's glory. And so God smote him. Herod was struck with what, what Josephus calls a terrible intestinal disease. And he died after five days of terrible pain. What's the point? Despite all his royal majesty, King Herod couldn't stand against the power of God. And here's what's great. The chapter ends with a contrast. A verse you might think is no big deal, but it's an amazing ending. Look at verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Watch this. Herod dies. The gospel triumphs. John Stott describes Acts 12 in this way. You've got to see the screen. The chapter opens with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod triumphing. It closes with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing. Such is the power of God to overthrow hostile human plans and to establish his own in their place. Stott says, tyrants may be permitted for a time to boast and blunder, oppressing the church and hindering the spread of the gospel, but they will not last. In the end, their empire will be broken and their pride abased. The writer of Acts, Luke, I think he put this chapter together like he did to make this plain to the early church. I think he's saying this. You may feel small. And you may feel insignificant in the Roman Empire. You you may think that you're overpowered with, 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 with some of the your best leaders being killed on a political whim. 
But Luke said, here's the truth. If you stay with Jesus, you win. But if you oppose Jesus, you lose. So he writes this to say, church, be encouraged. Be bold. Be courageous. Go spread the word of truth and leave the outcome to God. He'll always take good care of you. Two application points of will home. First, don't overestimate the power of wicked government. We worry sometimes, don't we, about the authorities and rulers over us. And it's true that at times they'll take advantage of their power and use it against the church. But this chapter reminds us that no matter how evil government is or becomes, God is still in control. Through his power, the gospel can still move forward. So hear me, Christian, you don't need to be hoarding and building bunkers in your basement. You don't need to be obsessing about the threat of communism and socialism all the time. Instead, share the gospel in the power of Christ. Don't overestimate the power of wicked government. God's over them. Secondly, don't underestimate the power of a caring God. All of the Herods in the world can stand against God, but, but Peter still walked out of that prison. The word of God still prospered. Herod, Nero, Stalin, Castro, and I can name many more. They're all dead. But guess who's not dead? The king of kings. And the Lord of Lords, Christianity's not dead. The gospel's not dead. God's not dead. And the church isn't dead. We are on the winning side. So don't underestimate for one second the power of a caring God. And don't underestimate what he can do in your life as you pray for divine intervention and wait for divine vindication. What an incredible passage, isn't it? What an incredible moment for these believers. The moment their threatening circumstances are called God's power to care for them into question. They didn't resort to fear. They didn't resort to self-pity. They didn't just pick up their Bible, go home and never come back to church. They didn't even power up against the government. They got on their knees and they prayed. And then they waited for God to make things right. If you find yourself in threatening circumstances right now that's causing you to question God's care for you. The circumstances of your life have have taken a turn for the worst and you're having a hard time trusting God today and thinking that everything's going to be okay tomorrow. Let me read you the lyrics of one of my favorite songs we sing here and we're going to close our service by singing this as loud as we can. It's based on Psalm 62 and it's called My Soul Will Wait. When the enemy surrounds and my heart grows faint within, When the darkness overwhelms and my fears are pressing in. I will trust in you, O Lord. In the silence, I will wait. I will stand upon your word. You're my solid rock and my salvation. My steadfast hope that won't be shaken. My soul will wait. My soul will wait for you. The second verse. You're my stronghold and my shield. This is like Acts 12 right here. In the midst of every threat. Though the wicked never yield, they will vanish like a breath. Yes, I know the outcome, sure. Satan's evil plans will fail. In your power, I'm secure. The song ends with prayer. Pouring out our hearts before you, we will trust in you. Perfect Savior, strong defender, we will trust in you. Pray for God's intervention. Intervention. 
then wait on God's vindication. He is powerful over all. Stand to your feet.